Section 8 of Antonia. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jake Militia. Antonia by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. In reality, Marcel was very glad to be in possession, at last, of the ideas and recollections which underlay his uncle's actions. He promised himself that he would take advantage of his knowledge to induce him to mend his ways. Did he succeed? The sequel will tell us. Madame, said Marcel to the Comtesse d'Estrelle the next morning, you must sell the pavilion. Why, said Julie, it is so old and such a paltry affair, and of such trifling value, too. It has a value due to its location, which you must not overlook. My uncle will give you thirty thousand francs for it, perhaps more. This is the first time, my dear adviser, that you have advised me ill. I am very reluctant to extort money from a neighbour. What is it but speculating on the need he may have of that old building? Wait a moment, my noble client. My uncle does not need the pavilion. He wants it, which is a very different matter. He is rich enough to pay for his whims. And what would you say if he were grateful to you for your extortion? How can that be? Enter into personal relations with him, and he will offer you a bonus over and above the price. Fie, Monsieur Thierry, you would have me pay court to his gold. No, but simply bestow upon it a kindly patronising smile, and it will come to you of itself. Moreover, you will do a kind deed. Tell me what you mean. You will show my uncle that you have much esteem and affection for my aunt and cousin and thus you will induce the old Croesus to assist them seriously in their distress. Then I will do it with all my heart, Monsieur Thierry, but while I am already able to appreciate the worth of Madame your aunt, what can I say of your cousin whom I do not know? No matter, speak of him with perfect confidence. My Julian has a heart of gold, the high spirit of a man of birth, and a mind above his condition. He is the best of sons, the truest of friends, the most honourable of men, and the most reasonable of artists. Say all that, Madame la Comtesse, and if Julian's life ever offers the slightest contradiction to your words, drive me from your presence, and never again give me your esteem or confidence. Marcel spoke so vehemently that Julie was impressed. She abstained from asking questions, but she listened, without losing a word, to what followed this eulogy when Marcel entered into details by which only the hardest of hearts could have failed to be moved. He told of Julian's care of his mother, of the privations which he endured without her knowledge, even going without proper food so that she might have enough. Therein Marcel, like Madame Thierry, unwillingly said what was not true. Julian had lost his appetite because he was in love, and Marcel, who had no suspicion of it, thought that he had divined the cause of that involuntary abstemiousness. But Julian was capable of doing much more for his mother than holding his appetite in check. He would have given the last drop of his blood for her. Thus, while he did not tell the exact truth at that moment, Marcel said far less than the truth. His panegyric of Julian was so generous and so affecting that the Countess authorised Marcel to say to Uncle Antoine from her, that she would like very much to see his rare flowers and inspect his extensive and interesting grounds. 
Uncle Antoine received this message with a haughty and sceptical air. "'I see,' said he. "'She wants to sell at a high price, and this condescension will cost me the eyes out of my head.' Marcel allowed him to talk, but was not deceived. The rich man's gratification was too evident. On the appointed day, Madame d'Estrelle resumed her deep mourning, entered her carriage, and drove to the Hôtel de Melcy. Marcel was at the door awaiting her. He offered her his hand, and as they went up the steps, Uncle Antoine appeared in all his glory in gardening costume. That was by no means ill-advised on the part of so stupid a man. He had duly considered, without mentioning it to Marcel, the plan of appearing in magnificent array. He was rich enough to have every seam stitched with gold, but the dread of ridicule deterred him, and as he prided himself on being a great horticulturist before everything, he had the wit to appear in a strictly rustic costume. Despite the asperity of his disposition, and of his ordinary manners, despite his secret longing to assert his independence of mind, and his philosophical pride before Marcel, he suddenly lost countenance before the fair Julie's gracious salutation, and her sincere and limpid glance, and for the first time in thirty years removed his three-cornered hat, and instead of replacing it at once on his head, held it awkwardly, but respectfully, under his arm throughout the visit. Julie did not resort to the vulgar ruse of trying to flatter his caprice. She was really interested in the treasures of horticulture which were exhibited to her, Herself a flower, she loved flowers. This is no madrigal, to use a phrase then in vogue. There is a natural affinity between all divine creations, and in all ages symbols have been used to express realities. The rich man, although he had little of the rose about him, bloomed resplendent at the sincere admiration bestowed on his beloved plants. Little by little, his assumed haughtiness vanished before the sylph whose feet hardly grazed his lawns and who flitted among the flower-beds like a caressing breeze. He awaited with entire resignation the announcement of the price fixed for the pavilion. "'Come, my dear uncle,' said Marcel, seeing that Madame d'Estrelle had apparently forgotten the affair. "'Tell Madame la Comtesse of your desire to purchase.' "'True,' said the rich man, careful not to commit himself too far. "'I have had some idea of buying the pavilion.' But now, if madame does not wish to part with it, I have but one reason for not wishing to part with it. It is occupied by some people whom I esteem, and whom I would not disturb on any consideration. They have a lease, I suppose, said Monsieur Thierry, who knew all about it. Why, of course, said Marcel, you would have to pay them a fair indemnity in case they should consent to cancel the lease, for you know they took it very recently. A fair indemnity? repeated the uncle with a frown. I would gladly undertake to pay that, said Madame d'Estrel, if, if I would pay more for the place in proportion. That is not what I was about to say, rejoined Julie, in a dignified tone, which cut short all discussion. I intended to say, and I say now, that if Madame Thierry, your sister-in-law, has the slightest objection to leaving that house, I propose to uphold her right to remain throughout the term of the lease, and that is a condition which the purchaser cannot evade on any pretext. That will delay the transaction and make it less advantageous to madame, said Monsieur Antoine, who was consumed with longing to utter the fascinating title of Countess, but could not quite make up his mind to do it. I do not say no to that, Monsieur Thierry, 
replied Julie, with an indifference which the rich man considered a fair artifice. However, he began after a pause, what price does... Marcel was about to reply. Julie, who evidently knew nothing about business, paid no heed to him, but answered ingenuously, Oh, I know nothing about that. You are well known to be a shrewd and fair-minded man. You may fix the price yourself. Regardless of her solicitor's reproachful glance, she continued, You cannot believe, Monsieur Thierry, that the purpose of my visit to your garden was to haggle with you over the price of my small property. I know that it would probably be of advantage to you to own it, and you know that I am in straitened circumstances. That is no reason why we should be unreasonable in our demands upon each other. But in justice to myself, I must tell you this, that I would not for a million francs consent to distress madame your sister-in-law because i love and honour her especially that being understood you can think it over and let me know your decision for you owe me a call now my dear neighbour and i shall not release you from the debt whether we come to terms or not the countess withdrew leaving the rich man dazzled by her charms but as he did not choose to allow marcel to see his emotion he pretended to exult for another reason well attorney he said triumphantly so you are fairly caught and sheepish enough what did you say about that lady's demands she has more sense than you and is willing to take my valuation very good very good rejoice at her charming manners replied marcel and make the most of the praise which you owe to her politeness but try to understand and to rise to the level of the role which she ascribes to you after all rejoined Antoine, who was a very shrewd man of business. When you say to a man like me, pay what you choose, it means pay like a great nobleman. Very good. I will pay you a good price, Mordi, and the great lady shall see whether I'm an old curmudgeon, like her father-in-law, the Marquis. There is one thing that surprises me on the part of a woman who seems to be no fool, and that is the fuss she makes about my sister-in-law. I am not quite sure whether she meant to be agreeable to me or to make sport of me when she was talking about her. She meant to be agreeable to you. Of course, as she needs me, but then my sister-in-law must have made me out a miser. My aunt has not mentioned you. Act in such a way that she will have no reason to complain. Let her complain if she chooses. What do I care? What do I want of this countess's esteem and friendship? True, said Marcel, taking his hat, it is all a matter of the utmost indifference to you. No matter, don't try to make yourself out a bore, and let us agree on a day, so that I can announce your visit. Antoine selected the second day thereafter, and they parted. But on the next day, without a word to Marcel, he took measures, indirectly but adroitly, to repurchase the house at Sèvres, without loss to himself. Had he decided to make his nephew that present, to give his sister-in-law that pleasure? No, indeed. There never was a more vindictive man, because nothing had occurred to wear out his passions, good or evil. There had been nothing in his narrow life of sufficient importance to soften the asperities of his nature. But a blow had been dealt at his secret vanity, and Julie Destrel, without artifice, without scheming to that end, had subdued that savage spirit. He found in her an irresistible charm, and an unaffected tone of equality, which, to be sure, he attributed to her need of money, but which flattered him, 
as he had never been flattered in his life before. He had determined, therefore, to pretend to feel something like compassion for Madame Thierry. He was afraid that she would really do him an injury in Julie's estimation, and by purchasing the house at Sèvres, in his own name, he persuaded himself that he would hold his foe in respect by the hope that that transaction would prove to be for Julien's benefit. Meanwhile, Marcel continued his efforts to relieve Madame d'Estrel gradually from her burden, and on the evening of the day of her visit to Monsieur Antoine, he called upon her to scold her for her recklessness, and to insist that she should make the purchaser jump high for the sugar plum. He found her disinclined to assent to any manoeuvring to secure the desired result. Do as you think best, my dear Monsieur Thierry, she said, but do not ask me to assist you. You told me that your uncle was a little vain, that I could easily gain some influence over him by virtue of my title, and that by means of that influence I could arouse his interest in his sister-in-law's lot. I made haste to test my power. You tell me that you hope for some good result. I did what my heart dictated. Do not ask me to do anything more. Why are you in such a hurry to sell the pavilion? Didn't you tell me that my husband's creditors would be patient when they found out I was provided with an additional piece of real estate, that the Marquis would never allow the Hôtel d'Estrel to be sold, and that I must venture to forget my troubles for some time? Keep your word, and let your uncle hover about the pavilion, for that will give me an excuse for pleading Madame Thierry's cause. I told the truth when I said that I did not propose that she should be turned out on her present quarters against her will, and I tell you now that I should regret exceedingly to lose her as a neighbour. Marcel, being unable to shake her determination, went to see his aunt Thierry, and told her and Julian of the Countess's generous action, and of her kindly feeling for them. Madame Thierry was affected to tears, and, as Julian was careful to play his part well, so that certain suspicions might be dissipated, she ventured to express herself freely in praise of Julie d'Estrel. Her heart was overflowing with gratitude, which she had with difficulty restrained for two days past. Thus did the poor mother herself pour oil on the flame. End of section 8